Welcome to the Cello Sherpa Podcast, where we explore all aspects of the climb to the summit from intermediate musician to the professional stage. Check us out online at thecellosherpa.com or follow us on Twitter and Instagram at thecellosherpa. I'm Joel Dallow, your host. I joined the cello section of the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra in 1999 and founded the Riverside Chamber Players based in Roswell, Georgia in 2003. Today's episode is sponsored by Clear Resources, your premier resource for compliance, legal, ethics, and risk. For more information, visit them online at clearresources.com. Jonathan Colbert is a double bassist who's had a very successful career performing all over the world in many orchestras, including four years serving as co-principal bass of the Royal Danish Orchestra in Copenhagen, Denmark, and also he spent two years in Sweden with the Gothenburg and Malmö Symphony Orchestras. He is currently the double bass professor for the University of Memphis Scheid School of Music. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Cello Sherpa podcast. Thanks for having me, Joel. So as an Atlanta native and the child of two legendary music educators, you bring a unique perspective to being raised as a black musician in the not very diverse field of classical music. This is a hotly debated topic right now, as many arts organizations are making a concerted effort to change the faces of their organizations. And we have talked some about this on the podcast, but I thought it would be great to continue to talk about some of the difficult subjects surrounding the lack of diversity in our field and get your perspective on what we can do to change this. We've talked about the Atlanta Symphony's talent development program here before, but for those who might not know anything about it, it is one of the longest-running, year-round musical education diversity programs, and it provides 25 young Black and Latinx musicians with the highest level of musical training each school year. What are your thoughts on programs like this? Is this the right approach to solving this problem? Well, I think it's one of many steps to solving this important problem and topic that we're discussing today. But first of all, shout out to my parents who <laughs> they are incredible and they paved the way for me to have these opportunities. But I think that the talent development program is great and they're lucky to have so much support and the, the orchestra people are behind it and the talent is there and the kids that are there are getting a lot out of the program. I think that the most important thing is if everybody's invested in it, meaning the board, the administration, the musicians, most importantly, then the people that are in the program are going to get the most out of it. And the people who are in the orchestra can see that this is not just a fellowship because people are black and brown, but because they're really good. Mm -hmm. Where do you think the program could use improvement? I think the program, any of these fellowship programs can always have more support, any arts organization for that matter, from all different kinds of directions. But I think that really keen on what are we doing for these students to help them have a career in music, mm -hmm. right? Like we're giving them instruction, they're going to get better at their instrument. But outside of that, when they leave, what are they really getting out of it? What more can we do? Like, I think a big thing that needs to happen in any of these programs is mentorship programs. And I think they have like mentoring at TDP. But the bigger topic is it's hard to to have a mentor that has gone through things that you're going to potentially go through, talk to you about, okay, this is going to happen. People are going to do this. You might be in this kind of situation is really helpful. So mentoring programs for kids just to talk to somebody about issues or feelings that they have is very, very important. When you say mentoring, do you think that mentoring needs to come from people of color also? Is that the area where you think 
needs to be addressed? Or when you say to prepare people, do you think it can come from anybody that's in the field to help prepare for what it means to be successful in the field? Right. So I'm more specifically talking about things that are not per se business or musician or musical related. So that like a person of color would be the most helpful mm-hmm. when you're a kid or a student, you don't know. You're kind of naive. You know, they're, those kids in TDP, they're like super excited and they're going to enter a world that is not so pretty sometimes that they are going to have discrimination, that they are going to have people treat them certain ways and they need to be able to have a space and somebody to go to. Mm -hmm. Otherwise what happens is we shut down, you know, we just internalize things because there's nobody to talk to that would believe that these kind of things were happening. Whereas if there was somebody I could call, like, I don't know if you know, Timothy Adams, timpanist, Mm -hmm. he's the professor at the university of Georgia now and was the, to principal timpanist in Pittsburgh Symphony for a while. Mm-hmm. Incredible timpanist, but an even more incredible mentor to so many people to reach out to, to talk to, just to be like, yeah, I know. I know, man. I know. Yep, that happens. Yep, this happened to me. This, you know. Instead, like, you start to think you're crazy after a while. You know, if you want, I want to talk to somebody about this thing that I'm feeling. It might not even have been something that actually happened, but a feeling. Mm-hmm. To have that sense of support and understanding is crucial for the development of a young black or Latinx musician, I think. So if you were put in the position of being a mentor, what kinds of things would you say to these students to help them? Yeah. So it's interesting because I am a mentor to a lot of different students. They call me and talk to me about things that have happened to them. And I just listen and talk. More recently, there was a student who was at a conservatory and something happened where a white student was treating them a certain way Mm -hmm. and they went to administration and talked to administration about it and administration at this conservatory brushed it off didn't say anything about it Hmm. you know and that's hurtful yeah (laughs) that's hard to deal with as a student like okay somebody treated me poorly i went to the people who i thought would help in the situation they didn't do it they basically said it didn't happen yeah what am i supposed to do right and so they need somebody to talk to. It's like, you know, people need to have therapy. It's the same kind of thing. It's therapeutic. It's something that we don't see, but something that exists and something that is detrimental if not handled to a person's success or career in any field. Yeah. And each situation is different. So like when you ask what, what can I talk to them about? That was just one example, but it could be about so many different things about what people said or a feeling about, am I ready? We all have imposter syndrome. It's hard to win a job for anyone. It's really hard to win a job as a black or POC person. If you have these things running through your head about not being wanted or welcomed, you know, it's, it's complicating things even more. So would you say then in your experience growing up in the classical music world that you had a lot of experiences where you didn't feel welcome? Well, of course, all the time. All the time? All the time. You know, I've never gone into a situation, and this might sound crazy to you, I've never gone into a situation where I didn't analyze what I was going into or how people might perceive me or if I was welcomed or not or this person looking at me or saying a certain thing. And at a certain point, again, you start to feel like you're crazy because you're like, already before a situation has happened, you're like making things up in your mind based on previous experiences and things that have happened to you. And that's not a good space to be. Do you remember a time when you didn't feel that way? Or does that memory go as far back as your earliest memories? Oh, when I didn't feel that way? Yeah. 
in classical music, right? Yes. I guess when, yeah, when, when I was first starting, you don't think about that so much. I didn't, when I was first starting the instrument, that was just a long time ago, but pretty soon after you, you, you know, it's pretty obvious and it, it comes pretty quickly if you don't have a community around you, which is why TDP is great because there's a whole bunch of those kids. And I guarantee you, they share stories and talk about things all the time that they've experienced with each other because they have a community. But once they leave TDP and they go into the real world, they will feel a sense of loneliness, mm-hmm. wanting to talk to somebody. And that's where this comes in. This picking up the phone, being able to call somebody and just have this conversation with them. And would you say that that comes from actually not really being welcomed wherever you are? Or is it a perception of not being welcomed based on a lifetime of experience or a combination of both? And how can you maybe talk about some of the ways that it manifests itself in an orchestra? Because for me, from my own ignorant point of view, when it comes to this, Mm -hmm. I, of course, never, number one, thought about it, or number two, felt unwelcome in that environment ever. So it's hard for me to imagine what kinds of things people would do that would make you feel like you weren't welcome. Yeah, it's a good question. I think that it's a combination of the two things, right? It's a combination of things that have happened and things that you're anticipating happening, right? And it's not like it's anything huge, like somebody is yelling at you to get out or like whatever. But, you know, if you walk into a rehearsal and people just ask certain questions that I don't necessarily think they would ask other people. It used to be a joke when I was in school, right? Like I would walk around and you meet people and talk to people in different programs and you say, oh, I'm a bass player. I said, oh, cool. You play in the jazz division, right? And so they would just automatically assume ah. that I was in the jazz division, right? Okay. And so even in, like I've played in some of the great orchestras in this country. I remember going to a, one of those orchestras and to a rehearsal, being super excited. And one of the other musicians came up to me and was like, oh, so what other kind of music do you play? I mean, you just don't play classical, right? Mm-hmm. And like that question might like to other people might feel like, Oh, that's nothing. They were just interested in what kind of music you play. But I found it hard to believe that that would be the first question somebody else would get asked if they were just coming to play. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, not like where you went to school or it's happy, we're happy to have you here, but like, oh, what else? Do you, like, okay, this person must be here because of whatever reason. And so like immediately the wheel starts to spin in your head when you start to get questions like that. Yeah. Wait a second. Do other people get questions like that or like that? Yeah, so it's bizarre. I've never been asked that question. In case yeah, exactly. Exactly. Nobody would ever ask you that. So then what can we do as musicians to make sure that you do feel welcome? I think that that's on the responsibility of organizations and boards to make sure that you're diversifying everything in your organization from the top down. Mm-hmm. And so if I, go to an organization and I know that people have their biases and we all have that. We all have that. Yeah. But if I go into a building and from any level, or I can just go to the internet and look on your website and I don't see a diverse group of people working for your organization, mm-hmm. I'm going to feel a certain way about it. I think organizations now need to go out of the way and whatever that means and recruiting people to just apply to make sure that you're getting a diverse pool of people throughout the building, because what you're signaling to people who might be looking for that kind of stuff is look, you know, we have 
people here from all different backgrounds. And so even if I have these kind of conversations with people who ask those kind of offhand questions, I know that, okay, well, whatever. Not everybody's like that. Maybe that person had no ill intent. It was still a weird question, but the organization as a whole, I feel like they're trying to make an effort to involve more people. That says a lot to people because I think black and POC people look for that. They want to feel like, I don't want to be the only one, which happens a lot because when you're the only one, there's pressure on you all the time. People want to pull you in all different kinds of directions. They want to show you off. You know, you're, you're like a pawn to them, you know? And that's tough too. You want to know that I can go to that person in the administration. We can sit down and we can have a conversation about just whatever. Yeah. I need that. Yeah. So you want to see the tone kind of set from the top down, that it starts from the top and is involved in the entire organization. And then you feel like you'll be in a place where even if on stage, you might not be. Well, yeah. And not only that, it's more so for the people who are not POC or Black Latinx, because they're also going to see that. They're going to see, oh, wait, everybody who's here is great because we have people in management who are black or Latin or women or whatever. They're not just going to see all white men working at the top. And then when some person of color comes in, they're they're not going to know how to act because they're never around it. Right. And then if you feel like you've been put in an uncomfortable situation, you then know you can go to somebody in the management team and talk to them and you'll get some support as opposed to the story you told before about not getting support. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's that's hard because the change doesn't, you know, the orchestra can and the people in the orchestra can only do so much. But until management boards, administration really start to make a change, we can't do anything without them. Yeah. Yeah. And that brings up the point. I mean, when people see most professional orchestras perform, they'll in most cases see a stage with very few people of color. So do you think that matters too? Like talk about your experience of going to an orchestra as a kid mm-hmm. and seeing that. How does that affect you if you are a person of color? Right. So in any endeavor, being a minority, again, once you get older, unfortunately, these are things that you take into equation when you go to a place. It's just for me. Should I be here? Mm-hmm. Are there other people that look like me? And when I was a kid, I still feel like I'm a kid though, but when I was <laughs> a, a young kid, I um, went to the symphony for the first time. I was studying with Ralph Jones, uh-huh. and I, I'd never been before. Even though my parents were musicians, I never went. I heard stuff on the radio and TV or whatever, but being there live and that energy was mind-blowing for me. I remember it very vividly. It was like a Bach Pasacaglia or whatever, but it was amazing. Uh-huh. I still remember that performance. But at the same time, I remember I was the only one in the room, <laughs> stage, audience, both, you know. Oh, wow. You think about that. It's very hard not to feel that. That's a whole nother conversation we could have about as a concert goer, when I'm a kid and I'm the only, and those people who are coming there and they're donors and they're paying money to come see this symphony orchestra that's so fancy, whatever, and I'm there. Yeah. They're like, what's he doing here? Yeah. You know, this is our space. Not that they're saying that, but these are, these are the wheels that go on. That's how you feel. Yeah. You know, like you're like, you feel not welcome with that. And you see, you sit really quietly. I didn't know what to do. Everybody's dressed up. I maybe had some jeans on or something. Mm-hmm. It's hard. Do you think that's changing? I definitely think it's changing. I guess I'll speak on Atlanta since that's where I'm from and that's where you work. That the city is very prideful on all the stuff that we've had to go through, especially black people uh-huh. from the civil rights movement. We take pride in that as we went through a lot. We're still going through a lot. You know, with the leaders that we've had, none of that would have happened without the Martin Luther Kings, the Andrew Youngs, you know, the John Lewis's of the world. 
there's a reason why now there's a high percentage of black people in the cities because they had to fight for that. Yeah. Really hard. So we take pride in all of those leaders and talk about them and say their name as much as we can. But I do think that when I go to a concert in Atlanta, the audience is changing. That's for sure. And I try to make an effort to talk to people as much as I can. Mm -hmm. And of course, the first thing people say when they see me, it wasn't there's I'm talking to a black concert goer. A hundred percent out of every time that I talk to them, the first thing will be, it's so nice to see you up there. Yeah. It won't be like, oh, that was an amazing concert. But so good to see you up there. You, you know, not too many of us, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so it's because of the barriers that have had to be broken in any thing. But when you're in a space that typically doesn't have black people or brown or Latinx or POC, it's difficult. And people can see that. They, say, what? they see the story immediately. I'm sure they start to think about, wow, what has he been through? What does he go through? on a daily basis that he's can't even talk to people about because that would just create a whole nother issue. Yeah. So, but it is getting better. Yeah. Well, that's good. And why do you think it is getting better? That's a good question. I think that TDP is a, is a good reason why that's a good signal for people who are coming to the concerts for the first time. They say, Oh, this orchestra has a diversity program for people. They're trying to make an effort. Mm -hmm. You know, I talked about the signaling earlier. People want to see that. And, you know, in this city, there is a high number of black people. So the numbers are going to, they're going to be higher than in other places because there's simply more black people that like the art, that like cultural things that like to come to concerts and the symphony is trying to do more things. It seems like to reach those people um, to bring them in, which is great. So you think repertoire does make a difference when it comes to attracting audience members? Of course. Yeah. Classic music, obviously, is traditional, you know, white men that have written pieces for orchestras. Yeah. And now we've started to more recently play music by women, black, brown, POC people, which is amazing. And that's going to draw people in, of course. Okay. Now, musicians don't like it. I'm in a position where I'm black, so I know how people probably feel about certain things, but I'm also a musician. So I hear the things that people say or go through or whatever. And we're trained, right? Classical musicians are trained to play classical music. Yeah a specific way. And so when you do get the job and you reach that pinnacle of your career and you have to play movie concerts or pieces by people you didn't hear of when you were at conservatory studying, people are, oh, this is beneath me or whatever. When in all actuality, like if you want like a greater job and more people coming to concerts and each time you play something by somebody else, you're expanding your community. Yeah. You're expanding the people who are going to come to concert. These communities they talk, they know, they, they look for this kind of stuff. The black community, when there's a black person coming or singing or solo, they will be there. Hmm. I didn't think that it was actually that simple. <laughs> so that's good to know. <laughs> for sure. Black people want to support black people. Yeah. You know, being successful. I'll just put it like that. If you're there and you're successful, we'll be there. Because of everything that we've had to go through and continue to go through. Yeah. And that's the thing. I often think that if we had a talent development program in every city and that the talent development program had a hundred students in it instead of 25, right. it seems like that would make a difference. But I also think the numbers need to be even bigger than just TDP in every city to really make the kind of difference that people want to see. Right. So let's talk about the barriers. Mm -hmm. If somebody gave you an unlimited budget to solve the lack of diversity in our field, 
what kinds of programs would you put in place to make effective and lasting change? And how would you deal with the barriers that are in place? And what would you do to remove them? Well, I think that there's a lot of barriers of entry, but I think I'm not sold that it's completely a money thing. It's more of a a people kind of thing. We have to train people and normalize certain things from a young age, Mm -hmm. right? Because even like a TDP, which is great for the people in TDP, but it's already becoming this thing where like those people from TDP are going to get help. They're going to be successful. It's going to be great. But the people who, you know, the non POC people are also not getting the experience from a young age of playing together with those people. Right. Yeah. Luckily here we have in Atlanta, we have, you know, the youth orchestra, which is great. A lot of the TDP play in there. So a lot of times people in the youth symphony here will, they'll play along many different cultures. And I think that that's beautiful. So if I had an unlimited budget, I would really spend a lot of time training and normalizing things so that people who are non-POC could really be around POC people. Because that's what it is. When you're young and you play classical music, you're not going to be around that many people of color. The older you get, it's less and less. Yeah. And I think that's what it is. We have to just normalize diversity. Well, I guess when I ask about the budget, Mm -hmm. I think of that more in terms of, from my perspective, I think the problem is we just don't have enough people playing music, classical music at an early enough age Mm -hmm. to really make the numbers balance out to what we'd like to see in our communities. Mm -hmm. And this comes from decades of cutting arts programs and orchestra programs and band programs in schools. Mm -hmm. And if you started earlier, and that's where I think that if there was an unlimited budget it seems to me like if we put these programs in every school in every major city, at least that we would make a lot more headway. Oh, absolutely. I a hundred percent agree. Yeah. From a, a TDP is great, but at that point it's not too late, but it's like those people are on a path. They're on a trajectory already. Yeah. Right. But if you did that from a young age earlier with kids, you'd have a lot more people. I think. Yeah. I don't know if I have the answer for the exact solution, but doing something earlier for students, even if you had an unlimited budget, it goes back to our previous topic about classical music. Because if you teach somebody how to play an instrument, even if it's not traditional classical or whatever, mm-hmm. if orchestra started programming things differently and like changing how they looked at what is classical, what is traditional, there'd be a space for a lot more people to come play and do things and be a part of and different programs. And there'd be more creative things that people could do that weren't so traditional that, okay, you're not in the orchestra though. So we don't have a space for you. Yeah. We're so caught up in this one way, this one classical traditional way. And I know that's what we're talking about. We're talking about orchestras and getting numbers up. And I know that's what we're talking about, but I think that's part of this thing because if people get off that track, or something happens, then they're like, oh, there's no way back on. I'm done. I'm out. Yeah. Whereas if the track was wider or there was more tracks, you know, you could go this way to get that. There's many different paths. And then the end, maybe we could all meet in the same place and play music together some kind of way. It seems like the conflict comes from those who see the orchestra as a traditional institution that is doing something historically the same for hundreds and hundreds of years and people who don't want to see that change versus the people who look at an arts organization as something that serves the community and reflects the community and changes with the community and 
pushes messaging out to the community and becomes, I mean, sort of like an artistic political machine too, because you can make change through compositions that people write. I mean, there's plenty of things that make a statement that is powerful. So I think that is really, it seems to me, where the conflict is coming from. Are we just a traditional orchestra that's still mimicking something that's been the same for all these years and we're not going to change? Or are we going to flex and change with the times? Right. And we should, but I think it comes down to another thing we talked about earlier, like administration. Because when you go to a concert, when I went to a concert as a little kid, I walked into a club. There was a club of people who were traditionally going to these concerts, who were donors, mm-hmm. who were supporting the orchestra, right? Yep. And the executive directors and CEOs know that those people are going to donate to the orchestra and give money. Yeah. Right? And support the club. Yeah. As we change with times, as we change programming, as we change who we hire, those same people, if they're still there, they're going to think twice about it because they, it might affect their bottom line. Certain people won't come. Mm-hmm. Certain people will stop giving money. You know, I think it's a, an old approach that's slowly dying away, but not in people, but like the thought process, you know, is changing. Yeah. And like, I think that that's part of it. That's a huge, like you just hired a music director. Yeah. Woman. Yep. Right. Huge. Amazing. Yeah. Times are changing and the audiences will reflect that. Yeah. We also have cases now with board members who are saying unless they see change, they won't give money, which is a big change, too. I mean, I really think at this point, American orchestras really are making a concerted effort to look at their hiring practices. And Mm -hmm. I'm wondering what kinds of things you see orchestras implementing that are helpful or not. And do you think these changes will and are actually making a difference? Yeah, I think orchestras are are definitely making an effort. I, I think that, like, these conversations that we're having now about, like, diversity or, like, people in orchestras or whatever, this has been going on for a long time in communities that have been affected by it, and people talk about it. But it's only changing now because of administration, CEOs, executive directors. Without that, there is no change. So until we start hiring people in those positions that are understanding, whether it be their POC or they're just, you know, they really want equality across the board and equity, then we're going to see some changes. Jonathan Colbert and I continued this conversation, and we had so much to talk about that we decided to split this episode into two parts. Part two will release in one week on September 16th, so be sure and catch the continuation of this conversation then. Thank you to Jonathan for being willing to tackle some difficult topics regarding the lack of diversity in the classical music profession, and thank you for listening to another episode of the Cello Sherpa podcast. We're here to serve you, so if you have questions or topic suggestions you would like to cover in future episodes, please use the contact page on our website, thecellosherpa.com, or tweet them at us, at thecellosherpa. You will also find information about the specific services we offer on the website. Don't forget to follow us and rate us on whatever platform you get your podcasts. This helps us climb the rankings so other people can find us. Today's episode was produced, edited, and recorded by me, Joel Dallow.